We thank you for the worship today, the beautiful day. We do pray, God, that you help us understand your word today. Help me preach, Father, and we pray you'll be with all that we do today, all our fellowship. Thank you for the beautiful day again, Lord. Now, speak to us, Jesus' name, amen. Y'all sat down without me saying BC. That's all right. <laughs> I think Christy led the way. All right. No, no. Y'all are all right. We'll just do things a little different today. Christy was leading everything. It says, uh, Judges 8.20, He said unto Jether his firstborn, Up and slay them. But the youth drew not his sword, for he feared, because he was yet a youth. Then Zeba and Zalmunna said, Rise thou. And fall upon us, talking to Gideon. For as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and slew Zeba and Zalmunna. The title of the message today is Powerless from Passivity. It is passivity that will render you powerless to fight sin. Powerless to do great things for God. Now, we've been noticing... We're going to come back to this text. I want you to remember this is Gideon who has accomplished the battle. He has done what God has called him to do through God's strength. And now that the battle is over, he is allowing his firstborn son to participate in the glory. But the young man was afraid. But we'll come back to this as we have in the past. We've been looking at the fact that if you want God to encourage you, you have to take what already has been put in your hand and you have to use it. You have to take the things that you have seen, the things that you already know, and encourage yourself. Remember, it says that when um, the Psalm, Psalm 27 says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage. That's your job. And he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. That can speak of patience, but it could also speak of attention, readiness. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. That's your job. And then it's the Lord's gracious, merciful job to strengthen us as we encourage ourselves. Do you remember uh, David was greatly distressed? The people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters that were taken, captured by the enemy. David had nobody to encourage him at that point. So what did David do? He had to do the only thing he could do. He encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. What I'm trying to say to you these past few weeks is a principle of stewardship the Lord gives us in the Bible. 
Here is the principle, Matthew 13. Whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that he hath. That's God's principle. It's an investment principle. It honors God. It's the opposite from the liberal leftist welfare mentality today. It finances vice. And you know what it gets? More vice. It finances addiction. It gets more addiction. It finances uh, illegitimate children. So you know what it gets? Illegitimate children. Basically, it finances sin in the name of kindness to destroy the nation. Nobody can be that stupid. I guess there are some people very foolish that, that actually think that this is kindness, but the people behind it are not that foolish. They're just evil. They want to destroy this nation. So God is the opposite of that principle. If you're using what you have, God will give you more if you need it. If you're not using what you have, God says, you know what, I'm going to take away even that little bit that you did have. Love God's truth or lose God's truth. That's in the Bible. Take God's truth and use it or lose it. Lose the opportunity. We better remember this right now in the closing door of opportunity in this nation. So we saw last week that God uses those, based on this same principle, God uses those to fight higher battles who are already fighting their present battles with His strength in a manly way. You know, Gideon's nation had been overcome by the Midianites. If you raised a crop, they would come and steal it, destroy it. Gideon's brethren had fought, and they were murdered by the Midianites. It's enough. Everybody else was hiding in caves. Gideon said, I'm going to feed my family even now. I'll hide it from these wicked Midianites. And so, when the people cried out to God, God had to choose a man. What man did God choose? He chose Gideon. The angel of the Lord even said, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. We saw this last week, but we're going to make an application today. It's very important. What was Gideon already doing? Like David, already fighting lions and fighting bears, God just says, come up hither. I've got other work for you to do. Same way you fought that bear, same way you fought that lion, as a lad, as a faithful shepherd, now I want you to fight this giant. And likewise, many of the Philistines, and God called him to be king, just like he called Gideon to be judge. Then all of a sudden, we see the battle won, and we saw Gideon's son. 
Gideon's son is a picture of many believers at the judgment seat of Christ who will appear in shame. Gideon's son went home that day in shame. He wasn't the last born, he was the firstborn. He was old enough to do the job that Gideon called him to do. It was just scary. See, you're called to be firstborn sons to enter into glory. Every believer is called to enter into this glorious reign and not appear in shame. He said unto Jether, his firstborn, up. That's very important. Up. Get up. What does God say to believers now that he has accomplished the battle, finished the work, and could have wiped it out a long time ago? Gideon could have wiped it out immediately. But he said, you know what, son? For vengeance upon our family, for the glory, for the patriotism of our nation, For God's glory, finish the job. It was already finished. They were captured. But they were real kings. The Lord is saying to His people today, Up! Up! Take the sword of the Spirit. I have work for you to do. You're going to enter into my battle. I preserve some glory for you here before I completely bring everything into the fullness of glory. But he wouldn't get up. A lot of God's people won't get up today. A lot of God's people won't do the job that God has for them. So never forget, the battle has already been won. We know in regard to eternal salvation, it's finished. The Lord has paid the price that nobody else can pay. You can't work for eternal salvation. But even in regard to glory, praise, and honor, the title deed has passed into the hands of the Lord. What I mean is the Lord owns everything. Call it the universe. He he owns heaven and earth. The Son of God has title deed to this earth. He is the king of this earth. The devil tried to disqualify him, but he wasn't able. So our Lord Jesus, after he resurrected, said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. Gideon pretty much said the same thing to his firstborn son. It's over. All power in the nation has been given unto me. These two kings, execute them. So the Lord is saying unto us, He has all authority. He owns everything. He is the heir. He has the title deed. Go ye therefore. He owns it. You need no other authority to tell you to go, therefore, and witness and teach, spread the gospel, disciple people. You need no other authority. 
He is the utmost Lord of Lords, King of Kings. He has given you the authority and He will give you the power to do His will and accomplish great things. A lot of people don't realize what the book of Revelation is about. When you open the book of Revelation, you see some churches. The Lord gives His final message to His churches and then you see a book, a scroll, What is that? It's the title deed to this earth. And he begins to open it. And he begins to open it, seal after seal. And I tell you what, every time he opens another seal, he's looking down at the usurpers. He's looking at these squatters. He's looking at these rebels that say, we own this. This is Satan's kingdom. He's going to laugh. He just shakes it and then he roars in flaming fire and he comes and he shows who the boss is. He shows who the heir is and he kicks the squatters out of here, throws Satan in hell. That's the book of Revelation. But it's not as if the Lord then became the owner. He's the owner right now. God's always been the owner and he's given it to his son to reign upon this earth a thousand years, and then throughout eternity. Let's get this straight. It says in Hebrews that God in these last days has spoken unto us by His Son, not Moses, His Son, whom He hath appointed heir. Isn't that beautiful? Of all things. By whom also He made the world, by the way. Jesus made everything. It's the Trinity. It's God. God's Son. God the Son. And he became a man, fully man, but fully God. What I'm trying to show you is God already won. The Lord Jesus, the captain of our salvation, has already won. Everything has been put under his feet. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the cities of this world, the sun, the moon. Everything has been put under his feet. This is his. Modern man better watch how he he acts, how he deals with what belongs to God. Because everything belongs to God here. He'll come renovate it after the squatters messed it up. And that's why we pray, Lord, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done as in heaven. But hold on, I got to show you something. If he already owns everything, if he's already proven himself, already purchased everything, why? Do we see everything the way it is right now? Well, let me ask you this question. If Gideon has already won the battle, why are those two kings sitting there alive? Why didn't he go ahead and finish them off? Or do whatever he was going to do? Because he brought the kings to his son. said, this is your part. Participate with me in my glory, in my power that the Lord has given me. 
with that in mind, it says that in Hebrews 2, for it became him. For whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. The Lord died for you to be saved eternally. But we have a glory that he has called us to on top of the eternal glory And that is the reward, the millennial glory. And right now, he is waiting for you to get this glory that he has called you to by participation with him. The Lord's waiting right now because of his long suffering and love. But he's waiting for you. He's waiting for His people to participate. To overcome sin. To overcome Satan. To overcome everything the world, the flesh, the devil throws at you. Here it is right here, Revelation 3. Our Lord says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in His throne. He's waiting, waiting for you. Gideon was waiting for his son. Up! Have a part in all of this. You can't earn your salvation. You can't earn your eternal glory. But he has reserved a thousand years. Vacation, party, whatever you want to see. It's a holy, holy celebration for your glory. For your rule based upon your participation with him. I can imagine if his son had picked up that sword, even if it was scary, and I'm sure it was, even if it was yucky and horrible, and he'd never done anything like that, but go fishing, I tell you what, he still was called to do it. And had he done it, his dad would have grabbed him and hugged him, and all of Israel would have rejoiced, and they would have went to their house rejoicing and would have had a celebration. Instead, his son went home in shame. So how do we overcome? Through his strength, of course. What are we supposed to overcome? Your sin. Your sin empowered by the flesh, the world, and Satan. Everything is working together to try to convince you to sin and be lazy and not do what God has called you to do. Well, how am I going to overcome the devil trying to trick me, the world trying to discourage me, my own flesh trying to battle against me? How am I going to overcome such mighty principalities and powers? The Lord's answer was, is, it's already been defeated for you. 
In one sense, it's an illusion. Don't get me wrong. The battle is real. Just as those two kings were real. But what Gideon's son needed to remember is, they can't hurt me. It looks like they can hurt me. But they can't hurt me. They don't have any power over me. They look like they have power. But they really don't. If I can remember that. They're defanged. They're declawed. They're vanquished. So what the Bible tells you is your flesh has been crucified. Rendered dead, powerless. You're like, it doesn't sound dead. You would not believe the temptations that are within your heart. The lust of the flesh. The screaming of your flesh to sin. You're telling me that has been overcome? Yes. The power of sin has been overcome. Now here's what I want you to think about. The thief on the cross next to the Lord Jesus. He was crucified. He could not come down off that cross. He was nailed to a tree. But that thief could still mouth off to the Lord. He still, with his mouth, nailed to a tree, blasphemed the Son of God, tried to discourage the Son of God, mocked the Son of God. Now you listen to me. The Lord Jesus overcame it. I mean, he had been through his relatives thinking he's crazy. His own people that should have honored him thinking he's of Satan. And right there is he hung on the cross bleeding to death for the sins of the whole world. One thief finally got saved. But at one time, both thieves were sitting there just scorning and mocking, railing upon him. So what I'm trying to tell you is this. Just like that thief on the cross who's been crucified could still try to discourage the Lord. And of course, our Lord was victorious. He finished it in honor before God. Purchased your salvation in eternity because He is the sinless Lamb and perfect Savior. That doesn't mean His sufferings were not real. But just as that thief that had, that had been crucified could try to discourage him, distress him, so your flesh that has been crucified, is going to do everything in satanic power through Satan to try to make you think it's not crucified. And you're going to say, I cannot resist that. That is impossible. 
This is an urge beyond her. I have to have the little Debbie cake. And you can apply it to whatever sin you want, whether it's to gluttony or something unhealthy or something far worse. It is crying out. And you feel powerless. I said you feel powerless. You seem to be powerless. Our Lord, at any time He wanted, could have called tens of thousands of angels to come rescue Him. He hung there because of love and obedience to His Father. Now, with this in mind, notice this. Gideon told his son to execute these wicked kings that had also been the very kings that had killed his own family, his own brethren. Then Ziba and Zahuna, Zalmunna said, Rise thou and fall upon us, talking to Gideon. For as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and slew Ziba and Zalmunna. Not only would it be a quicker death, to have the full man execute them. Don't miss that this was scorn heaped upon the youth. He basically, these kings were basically looking at that young man and saying, he can't do the job. Look at him. Look at, you've got to do it. How discouraging that was to the son. They basically said, if you're going to have a man's job, you need to send a man to do it. Not this scrawny kid. Remember how Goliath mocked David? Are you coming out here to throw rocks at a dog? What are you? Some little boy comes out here to throw rocks. I'm a mighty warrior. See, David, to continue to do what he had to do, had to overcome scorn and mockery and humiliation heaped upon him by Satan. All designed to make him feel powerless. These kings were heaping scorn upon the young man. He's not able to do it. You need to do it, not your pathetic boy. It was a way of insulting not only the boy or the young man, it was insulting Gideon himself. Now the Bible says Satan's the accuser of the brethren, and you know what happened in the book of Job. And God said, have you seen Job? Because Satan likes to take cowardly, passive believers that God expects great things from. And Satan likes to go and bring them before God and say, what happened to your son here? What a little coward he is. And the enemies of God blaspheme and all the devils laugh and mock. Mock. 
I guess if you're going to get anything done there, God, you need to do it yourself. Not these pathetic Christians. Not your sons and daughters. They're too afraid. They're not able. Praise God at the judgment seat of Christ, there is a multitude that comes in with the ten talents and five talents. They come in having doubled what God has given them. And God will get glory and praise through. But there's going to be that portion, a very large portion, that are going to bring shame to God. Just as this son brought shame to Gideon. Why did the son bring shame? Because they mocked him. They discouraged him. The enemies discouraged him. You're not able to do it. Why do you not overcome? Because sin tells you you're not able. The world says, I tell you what, you're going to walk as a Christian and act like a Christian and dress like a Christian. I tell you what, we'll mock you. We'll scorn you. The Lord looks at it as something to despise. He says, are you really afraid of the world's shame and scorn? This adulterous, wicked generation, you care what they think? Do you think I care what a man in a dress with makeup says to me? Do you think I care about any of his scorn whatsoever, what he thinks? Of course I don't. You have to understand that your flesh, Satan, this world, Satan's going to end up in the lake of fire. He'll be in hell during the millennial kingdom, in the pit of hell. This world's going to burn. This is a sinful generation. Don't you be embarrassed and afraid to, to, be, to let your light shine? And don't let your flesh mock you. You just say, keep on mocking. But by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, I defy you. You're not going to be in control of me. Paul said he wrestled against his body. He kept it under him. Paul said, I'm not going to be under the power of anything. Certainly not my body. I tell my body what to do. There was one thing, he could tell his hand what to do, he could tell his eyes what to do, but there was one problem, is there was this inner, inner lust that sometimes kept yapping. He wouldn't obey it, but it would keep yapping. And it's very discouraging. It's very irritating. Remember Paul, when that devil was in that woman, followed him around just yapping, 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 he finally just got vexed and cast the devil out of her. Sometimes we wish we could do that to ourselves. You know, you have lust, you have all these things that, that are just, just going off and just running their lip. They're trying to, uh, the devil is using them just as he used these two kings to try to discourage that young man. So here's what they say to you. Bury your talent. Don't participate with God. You mess up everything. You're going to mess this thing up. It's going to have to be done without your participation. In fact, that's what God's waiting for you to do. See, your father knows you can't do it. He just wants you to admit that you can't. 
So why don't you just sit over there and relax when it comes to fighting sin? Quit, quit trying to wrestle against it. It's in vain. Just let go and let God. Well, some people will come to the altar and cry. I learned an amazing thing today. I've been trying this whole time, and I need to just quit trying. We've all fallen for it. Oh, what a lie of hell. What a lie of Satan. The Bible says he's the subtle serpent. Can you imagine these two kings? Boy, put down the sword. You can't do it. So the subtle serpent is going to attack along the line of subtle distinctions. You're not going to recognize his tricks unless you're careful. Let's switch now to the other side. That's the side of passivity. Let's switch to the side of presumption, the other direction, because the devil doesn't care which side of the boat you fall on. I want you to remember Psalms 91. Please listen. It says in Psalms 91, Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee. What a beautiful promise. What a beautiful promise. So the devil, you know what he does. When he came to the Son of God, it goes on to say, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. So the tempter came to the Lord Jesus Christ and tried to trick him with a misapplication of this psalm. He's going to do the same to you. So he took the Lord up really, really high and said, Jump off. Jump off. Because the psalm says no evil can touch you. He'll send an angel to catch you. Just jump off. The Lord said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He knew, obviously, that it was a misapplication of the psalm. He wrote the psalm. That's not what the psalm means. He's not telling you, rush off into sin. Go tempt yourself. And while we're at it, let's, let's finish the psalm. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. I don't have to worry about hurting myself. I'll climb up on top of the roof and jump off. God will save me. He'll send angels. Well, you might say, I don't just get on top of tall buildings and jump off. Well, maybe that part of it doesn't apply to you. What about this part? There shall neither any plague come nigh thy dwelling. That's poison. Have you read about that? Have you studied it? That's slow death. I just trust in God. 
I just trust in God. I'm not going to get diabetes. I'm not going to get cancer. I'm not going to get dementia. I'm not going to get all these things. I just trust in God. I'm not going to get arthritis. I'm not going to get all these things. I'm not going to get sick every single couple of weeks. I'm not going to just continue to get every type of a bowel problem and, and, and other types of diseases and other types of afflictions and no infections. I'm not going to do that because no evil plague will come nigh our dwelling because we trust in God. Well, what are you doing? Why aren't you being careful? Oh, I just trust God take care of me. What we do is we, we gather together. We say, Lord, make this nourishing to my body. Really? So do you get on top of a tall building and jump off? Say, Lord, catch me. Float me on down, God. Why don't you do that then? Why don't you get on top of a tall building and jump and say, Lord, just float me right down to the ground. Can God float you right to the ground? Yes. And if somebody picks you up and puts you on top of that building and you can't help it and they throw you down, say, Lord, catch me. You didn't rush into it. You weren't presumptuous. Now that is what the devil does on this side of things. Causes you to just rush right on into things and say, God will take care of me, even though I'm being a fool. It said in the last days, chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed, self-willed. They, they, they just rush into things because their lust tells them to do it. Lust of the flesh. It says in Jude's version of it, feeding themselves without fear. Just, just I can do whatever I want. God will take care of me. I don't got to be careful. Angels take care of me. It's called presumption. See, the Lord gives you grace. He does have angels to take care of you. And I'm going to tell you this, though. He gives you grace for what He calls you to do. It's wrong for you to run beyond God. It's wrong for you to disobey His Word and expect His grace to bail you out. If He does in His mercy, get on your face, say, thank you, God. But for you to keep expecting God to bail you out every time... It's presumption. The Bible says, look not at the wine, alcohol. It'll make you naked, make you stupid, make you babble, make you addicted. Don't look at it. So people get out here and they not only look at it, they say, I'm just going to try to drink it moderately. I've met that type of person. I've met them, unable to walk to their cars. I'm handing out tracks. I thought you were a moderate drinker. Your wife's bumping into the walls. Do you need a ride home? Can we, can we help you? Moderate drinker? I've never seen such drunk people. How did they end up drunkards? Somebody looked at the wine, expected God to bail them out after they looked at it. After they tried to, they, didn't, they not only looked at it, they played around with it. Drunk it. The Bible says, come not nigh the strange woman's house. Somebody says, I'm addicted to pornography. I'm addicted to sin. I'm addicted to fornication. I'm addicted to all of these things. But listen to the music they listen to. Listen to the things they set before their eyes. The crowd they go with. 
the provisions they make for sin. God says in the New Testament, make not provision for sin, for the lust thereof. Make not provision for the flesh. In the last days, they'll be heady, they'll be high-minded, they'll be rash. However, my point today is how Satan will take you to the opposite extreme, which is just another side of the coin. Uh, and, and he doesn't mind that it's all contradictory, transgendered, because that's his world. That's, that's his ugliness. <clears throat> he doesn't care what side of the boat you fall off of. So what he does is he comes and perverts the promises on the other side. If he can't make you rush into sin by claiming God's promises, if he can't make you irresponsible as you sit here and claim God's promises and act like a fool then what he'll do is he'll pervert the promises on the other side. He will again make them say what they do not say. And what does he say? The devil will come to you and say, unless the Lord build the house, it will not be built. So make sure you don't labor and do it. Okay, sounds reasonable. Pretty reasonable, right? Unless the Lord builds it, it's not going to get built. Okay, I get it. I better let God build it then. But does it say that? Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Now wait a minute. Maybe God wants you to labor and build it, but just not labor in vain. So on one side, if you get out here and say, I don't need God, I can just do whatever I want to do. I don't have to follow His ways. I don't need His power. I don't have to pray. I can just do whatever I want and it's all going to work out without me praying, without me following God's will, without me following God's timing, without me following God's ways. No, God wants you in many situations to participate in the labor. He does not want your labor to be in vain. So for the labor to not be in vain, you have to understand you need to labor in His strength, but let Him build it through you. You don't sit... On your bottom, whether it's your spiritual house, whether it's your home, or whether it's anything we put our hand to. Obviously, there's a labor for you that's not in vain. So the devil comes to you, you know. Your flesh, the world, and Satan. And, and, and the devil comes and says, only the Lord can and will do anything and everything. Your problem is you're trying to do something. Your problem is you're trying to fight sin. Only the Lord can do these things. And you're like, well, that's good preaching. I've heard something like that in the Bible. The devil says, of course you have. Of course you've heard that in the Bible. And here comes the false teacher Oh, he's so spiritual. They cry. They got tears in their eyes. They whisper when they say Holy Spirit. And it's all so beautiful. And they come to you and they say, you've got to quit trying because our flesh is just dust. I mean, think about it. Uh, we're, we're, we're just filthy rags and we're all sinners, you know. And we do the things we don't want to do and the things we would do, we can't do. And your problem is you need to just let God take care of things. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. Thank you so much for bringing that beautiful doctrine to me. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait a second. It shows your Facebook page. This is how you look now? Wait a second. You, you're, you're in bars? You're, you, wait a second. 
You're not living a holy Christian life. And ever since I've been following your lying garbage, I'm not living a holy Christian life. Where did this lie from hell come from? From hell. Or it might as well have. That's where it's going to take everybody. Did the Lord say only I can and will do anything and everything? Not exactly. Not exactly. Let's look at the fine print. It says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Well, wait a second. That's me bringing forth fruit by his power, by his energy and nourishment. But wait a second, for without me you can do nothing. So the devil comes in and says, see, you can't do anything. So sit down. You can't do anything. So stop. Cease and desist and be passive. Quit trying to fight pornography. Quit trying to fight sin. Quit trying to fight your laziness. Quit trying to fight any of these things. Just let go and let God do everything. What a lying serpent. What lying wicked devils. What a lying flesh because your flesh wants to hear that because your flesh would love to just be able to be lazy and go party in one sense. Leave everything to God. What did the unprofitable servant do? What do you think he did? He says, I know you're a hard man. He's basically saying, I can't do anything. You know, I, I just went and buried it. I didn't want to mess up anything. Here, you can have what's yours. And that's what many people are doing with their present Christian life. Nothing. They're not growing. They're not accomplishing anything. They're not getting rid of bad habits. They're not discipling people. They're not helping others. They're not growing. You see them a decade later, they're less mature than they were in Christ. Less spiritual. Why don't we read the next verses? Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. You bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. That sounds like you do something. You keep His commandments. You understand that the Lord is working in me as I keep His commandments. As I bear fruit, I give glory to God. I could go on and on. But I'll just sum it up this way. If you ever learn the hard way to turn away from presumption and self-confidence where you ignore the need for God, if you turn away from ignoring the need for prayer, the need for church, the need for carefulness, there's people living and they say, I don't need prayer. I don't need church. I don't need somebody preaching to me. I don't need the fellowship of God's spirit. I don't need to be in the body. I'm able to just exist without doing any of that. I don't need to be careful. I thought the Bible said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And then what it's saying? As you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, it's saying, man, you need church. You need church. You need the exhortations of the brethren. If you say, no, I'm so holy, I don't need anybody's exhortation. Well, then come to church and give it to somebody else. Amen? Come to church and encourage somebody else. Come to church and be an example to people. But you'll find you do need it. You do need to hear these young people sing. You do need to hear the preaching publicly. You do need the fellowship of the body. We all need it. I need it. But whatever it is, we're getting presumptuous in. If you finally say, you know what, I'm going to repent of being careless 
I'm going to repent of presuming on God's means that He has ordained. I need God's Spirit. I'm going to quit running ahead of God. I'm going to quit expecting God to bail me out of everything that I foolishly run into on purpose, thinking I'm spiritual for doing so. I'm going to start praying more. I'm going to make sure I'm in church. I'm going to start being a careful Christian. And I'm going to ask God to bless me. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to clean my life up. Quit flirting with evil, trying to see how close I can get to it. Satan's going to panic. Satan will panic at that moment. So he will rush you quickly to the other extreme and he will come in and he will say, whoa, 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 you're right. You have been running ahead of God. I tell you what, you've got to bury your talent. You're going to make a mess with it. The Bible says we're filthy rags. You have no goodness. Remember Romans 7? You can't do anything good. So just let go and let God... Now you've got to get out of the way because you've lived a life of self-confidence and presumption and self-effort. And so what you've got to do is you, you, you've, you've, got, you've, you've got to leave your hands off of stuff. You've got to let him take the wheel. By the way, if you don't get yourself out of the way, if you don't stop thinking about things, if you don't stop caring about them, if you don't shut off your mind, if you don't cease all self-effort, you will fail. You will mess up. Look into the face of sin. See how horrible it is? You're going to end up sinning again because of your self-effort. It's going to conquer you. Look at these demonic kings. See their faces? You better let your father take care of them in his own time. You can't do it. Your father doesn't understand. He thinks you can do it. You can't do it. So quit resisting. Quit fighting. Quit striving. You need a laid back, relaxed Christianity that gives God all the glory. Let Him do it. Oh, you better believe you better give God all the glory. But there are some things He wants you to participate in and that's where the deception comes from the devil. He is just slightly tweaking and distorting God's truth. Are you still awake? Because I hope you're not falling asleep right now. The deceived believer says, this is it. This is what I have been missing. I've been trying to do it myself, and this is pretty neat. I'll just tell my father, if you want it done, you go do it. You want me to quit sinning? Well, then you cause me to quit sinning. If you don't want me to continue walking toward this adulterous situation, then you stop me. And I tell you what, anything that you want done, you just got to do it. And I'm just going to live my life and party and relax. And then you're going to just basically start whistling. Everything's going great. You're going to tell these other believers, oh, I just, I just took my hands off everything. I just let God do everything. And there's going to be a lot of spiritual-minded Christians that are going to look at you and say, yeah, we can tell. We can tell. You're living like you just let everything go. But that's not spirituality. That's not godliness. That's not holiness. That's not carefulness. That's not cleanliness. That's not sobriety. That's not purity. That's not modesty. It does happen to be close to the words of the unprofitable servant, that class of Christians that arrive at the judgment seat of Christ with nothing, that have done nothing. 
So right now, let's crumble this wicked passive mysticism, this Jacob Beam mysticism that many of the churches uh, fell into with their higher life, deeper life quietism, their flowery bed of ease, this cowardly, lazy lie from the serpentine tongue. Let's take the scriptures right now, the hammer of God's word, and let's just smash it to bits right now. Philippians 2. Wherefore, says Paul, after telling you that every knee shall bow before the Lord Jesus Christ, he owns everything, he is King of kings, Lord of lords, he says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's not salvation in eternity, that's salvation at the judgment seat of Christ. That's you overcoming sin, overcoming the devil, and overcoming the world. Work it out. That comes first, with fear and trembling. Then he says, verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You know what the devil says? The devil comes in and says, It's God that's got to do it. So you sit back and don't do anything and just let God do it. Don't pick up the sword and slay the two kings. Let your father do it. See? Let God do it. Well, wait, that's not what the verse says. The verse says, I'm supposed to go do it knowing that it's God working in me. So after I do it, I'll tell God thanks. I'll say, God, thank you for doing that. I tell you, did David just sit back with Goliath and say, God, wait a minute. Woo, that was scary. I was almost about to do this. What a fool I was. The battle belongs unto God. Only God can slay Goliath. Everybody, put down your sword. All of Israel, bow the knee. Put down your sword. We cannot do anything to Goliath. Let God smite him. Praise God. That's what everybody else was doing. David didn't do that. David was just trying to do the will of his father and bring some cheese to his brothers or whatever it was. And all of a sudden he heard this fellow blaspheming, saw that mighty giant and says, why in the world is this uncircumcised punk running his mouth, blaspheming our God, shaming Israel? Where are the men at? Why don't some of you big fellows do something about it? He tried to ignore it for a few minutes. And finally, he, he, he said, I cannot believe this is going on. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. And he did. He did. Praise God, he worked it out. David worked it out. And after David worked it out, and they could say, David, that was amazing. Wow, you know, you just hit him right smack in the forehead. Then you cut his head off. That was amazing. He would say, the battle belongs unto God. God did it through me. But what did David have to do? David had to yield. David had to be courageous. David had to run toward the giant in faith. David had to do the job, and God did it through him. Verse Peter 5, let's see if this says just cease and desist and relax. No, it says be sober, be vigilant. That means awake, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking who he may devour. Is that how David resisted a lion? He just sat back and relaxed? No, he was vigilant. Whom resist steadfast in the faith. Now, if you just get out there and try to resist and it's not in faith, the devil may tear you alive. I think when David took off after that lion, it's because he was brave. And I believe he felt some fear and he said, Lord, strengthen me, but I'm going after it. Lord, this is it. If you don't help me kill it, it's not going to die. And I believe he dived in there and grabbed that knife and did whatever he had to do. I don't know how he killed it, but he killed it. 
Then he walked back and said, whew, that was scary. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Faith. He had faith that God would give him the strength. Faith. Resist. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That's first. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There it is. The devil wants to turn that upside down. He wants to say, submit yourselves unto God and tell you that means stop thinking, stop doing, stop doing anything. Draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. That's what you're to do. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's what you're to do. Sounds like you're to do something. Finally, my brethren, says Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Okay, so we're not presumptuous. We're not getting ahead of God. We're going to have His strength. We're going to ask for it. We're going to walk in His means and ways. We're going to trust in His strength by faith. But then we got to do something. Wherefore, taking you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. You've got to withstand. And having done all to stand, you've got to stand there. You can't be blown about. You can't be blown out of the way. You've got to resist. Yes, you're weak in yourself, but not in God's grace and strength. Yes, Zechariah says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. But he tells him a few chapters later, thus saith the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. Get to work. Go to the battle. Accomplish this thing. It's the Lord's might. It's a different message. It's a subtle distinction to not be presumptuous and not be passive, but to be balanced and to to say, you know what, it's by the Lord's strength. But why don't we pray, brethren? We need the Lord to be in this. We need His strength. Unless He do it, we're not going to be able to do it. Let's pray for Him. But we don't just sit around praying and doing nothing else. Let's get up. There came a time when he said, Joshua, get up off your face. They're sitting to camp. Get the job done. Nehemiah didn't just sit around and pray all the time. He prayed and he worked. He prayed and he battled. First Samuel 17, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. That was David's words to Goliath. So before you ever fall for this wicked mysticism, understand one of the greatest verses on trusting in God's strength is right here as David was staring at a giant, and after he said those words, he took off running toward the giant and basically crushed his skull, and then took his sword and cut his head off, and then ran back to Israel holding that giant's big old head, and everybody screamed. So you understand, that was not passivity. Yes, the battle belongs unto God. No, God doesn't save with sword and spear. Yes, the battle is the Lord. So believe that in faith and go do something for God. Up, says Gideon to his son. Go, says Jesus Christ. Resist, says Paul. But before he did that, that Goliath tried to intimidate him. You can't do this. Go back home, boy. You think I'm a dog or something? I'll feed you to the dogs. The strife of tongues, your own flesh, the world, everybody is going to slander you. They're going to heap scorn upon you, your own flesh. You're going to fill things within. 
going to be discouraged, feel discouragement. Acknowledge your weakness. Acknowledge that you do mess things up. Acknowledge that you don't have the power in one sense. But make sure you give the balance that in the Lord I can do great things. I'm going to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I'm not going to sit around. It says in Matthew 12, Then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thy hand. That was the man with the withered hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like as the other. You're just as withered as this man is when it comes to to your own impotence, when it comes to your own uh, sin, your potential for sin, your flesh. But wait a second. In faith, I can take whatever's weak, And I can do whatever God said do with it. This man didn't just operate by faith. He operated by faith and works. This is a picture of a believer. He believed God and did what God said. That's what you got to do. You got to say, wait a second. I got to take my hand. I got to take my feet. I got to take my eyes. I got to take my life. I got to take everything that you've given me and I got to surrender and yield it to you and do what you told me to do. Up, he said to his son. Go, says the Lord Jesus Christ i got to do what you told me to do, and you will empower me just as you empowered David as he ran toward Goliath. Paul says we plant, we water, but the Lord gives the increase. He didn't say he just sat around reclining and the Lord gave the increase. That's presumption. So really, this is why I say it's two sides of the same coin. Passivity really is just presumption. Jesus told the man with an infirmity for 38 years, Rise! Take up your bed and walk! The man believed. But what if the man said, I believe you. I believe you, Lord. And he just sat there. I believe you, Lord. I have faith. But they told me not to get in your way. They told me not to use any self-effort. So I'm just going to sit here. Can you bring me an iPad or something? No, rise, take up thy bed and walk. That man says, he told me to get up. I'm going to get up. He told me to go. I'm going to go. He said, I can fight this battle and overcome through his strength. I'm going to overcome. My daddy told me to take this sword and kill these two kings. I'm going to kill them. So the ultimate final application is a few verses right here for you. Thank you. Romans 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, that's passivity. That's mysticism. That's wicked from hell, demonic doctrine. No, you better stop sinning. So when nobody can be perfect, well, you know what? Go try to be. You better make sure you're more perfect today than you were yesterday. There are all these excuses for a lack of holiness. Quit whining about all that kind of stuff. Just get out of here and start doing your job, amen? Stop continuing in sin. Start growing in the Lord by His power. 
knowing this. Isn't this beautiful? He didn't say, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Shall we continue in sin? No. No. Knowing this, he says, so what your job is, is to know this. The man didn't just try to reach forth his hand. The infirmed man, lame man, didn't just try to get up. He did it knowing something. David didn't just go after Goliath and say, you know what? Uh, I might not be as big as him, but I can whoop him uh, because I have so much self-confidence. He had some confidence, but I'm going to tell you what. He slew Goliath in confidence in the Lord. Okay? If you're going to overcome sin, it can't be confidence in yourself without God. It's you knowing, knowing something, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. But it doesn't sound crucified. He still runs his mouth. That the body of sin might be destroyed. Those kings were already vanquished, but they still ran their mouth. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. There it is right there. So the Bible's telling you, do not listen to your flesh, this old man that is crucified. You're like, but Lord, he tells me I'm weak. He tells me I can't overcome him. The Lord says, no, don't listen to him. Resist him. Likewise, reckon ye, just consider it done, yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore, after you reckon, after you know, reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. After you know, after you reckon, then fight. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Oh, David says, I come to you in the name of the Lord. I come to you in the power of the Lord. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. You say, oh man, I tell you what, I want to grab that drink. I want to grab it. No, why don't you smash the wicked thing? Smash it and get it out of your sight. You know that? You go take the hammer and smash it. Uh, Do everything you can to not make provision for sin. But there's more. You got to say, you know what? These eyes, this hand, this foot, this body is not for sin. It's for God. And God empower it now to disobey and go against that flesh and that world and Satan himself and these devils empower me, God, because my body is instruments of righteousness. My members are instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not have dominion over you. You've got to fight. You've got to resist in faith. You've got to stretch forth your hand in faith. You've got to rise up and take up your bed and walk in faith. You got to go after the giant in faith. You got to take up the sword and slay the two kings in faith. Knowing God's already fought the battle, He's already won it. Say, God be with me. I'm trusting you that you're in this, and I'm going to fight these devils. I'm going to fight this flesh. I'm going to go against it right now, and I'm going to trust that you're in it, God. Don't be squeamish, don't be tender toward wickedness and sin, avenge it, awake. Last verse for you is 2 Chronicles 20. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Do you know sometimes 
God will say, just, 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 just sit there and be quiet. I'll take care of it. And He does. Sometimes we get ourselves in messes and God in His mercy and tenderness and loving kindness will get you out of the mess. But stop presuming on Him, amen? Let's all stop presuming. You might all of a sudden say, you know what happened? When I got saved and trusted God and started praying, He took away every desire for a certain evil that was there. Oh, praise God for that. There wasn't much of a battle then for you to do, was it? No, the Lord just took it away. Oh, that's lovely. That is wonderful. But sometimes it's not like that. And you're going to have other battles where Goliath's not just going to evaporate right before your eyes, okay? you got to go slay Goliath. It's going to be bloody. you have to cut his head off. It's going to be dripping blood. In other words, you've got to do something. It's going to get messy. When that boy didn't want to kill those two kings, that was a messy job, buddy. Fighting sin's a messy job. Holy Ghost says, you haven't resisted unto blood. Get in there and fight, boy. God's message is, gird yourself up like a man. Get this thing done. We're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Amen? Let's start perfecting some things. Let's put some devils on the run. Let's start building and battling and overcoming some things and getting victory. Let's get some testimonies. And when we come, we're not going to brag about what we did. We're going to say, Lord, the Lord is good. He did some great things. He did some great things. I yielded to Him and He used me. Dear Holy Father, we thank You for this church, their patience. We thank You, Father, for this holy Word of God. There's no sword like this one, God. There's no book like this on the earth, Father. Oh, this is the living Word of God, the inspired, preserved, perfect Bible in English for us. And we thank You for the wonderful things this has done to build this nation and save so many people and other nations around this earth. And we thank You, Father, for that. It's done amazing things in our life already, God. But forgive us where we have been passive. Forgive us where we have been waiting for you, and we're bringing you to shame, Lord. We're bringing your truth to shame. Father, may we just be fired up. We haven't done enough yet, God. We have so much more that we need to do, Lord. We haven't fought sin enough. We haven't put away sin enough, God. We haven't grown enough. Now bless every person here. Let them know, Father, they're saved not by their works, but by your blood. And then let them get up in gratitude for you, Father, and fight sin. The battle's over, but God, thank you for this little bit you've given us to do. Let us fight valiantly, Lord. Let us fight for your name, for your glory, for your truth. Let us take vengeance upon sin that so wrecked this world and our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen.